The Swamp Without a Still is just a tent, a martini without olives doesn't quite make it, and Mash Minute is intended for mature audiences. Put on your headphones, listen for the tone of your favorite podcast, Mash Minute. Well, it's a minute-by-minute detailed analysis of the movie without which the series wouldn't exist. Megan and Tierney, and guest will make three. Goddamn Army, Mash Minute. Welcome back to another episode of Mash Minute, where we analyze the 1970 Robert Altman film, One Minute of Screen Time per Episode. I'm Megan Coleman. I'm Tierney Steele, and with us today is a new guest. Yay! Oh, oh sorry, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Josh Newfeld of SceneByScenePodcast.com. Josh is saving us. We had a cancellation and you had just recently said, hey, I'd love to be on. So thank you for the last minute jumping in. Well, yeah, I just sat here with my microphone on for the last like, you know, 10 days or so hoping you'd give me a call. So phew, thank goodness. <laughs> Was there a big red landline that, like, the thing jangled in the cradle? I don't even remember the words for telephones Yeah, it was like a, like a bat phone. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, Josh, we're thrilled to steal you over to our podcast to talk about the movie MASH. Had you done other Movies by Minutes podcasts before? Or is this a new concept? I host my own, not movie by minute, but scene by scene podcast. And it's about the movie American Splendor with Paul Giamatti. Yeah, we've, we've been doing it for a little while now. We're about two thirds of the way through the first season. So I have a little expertise and I've been a huge fan of the movie by minute podcast ever since Star Wars Minute. Star Wars! <laughs> Star Wars Minute! minute. Star Wars Minute. <laughs> don't tell Megan there are podcasts that don't go minute by minute. <laughs> You'll blow Oh, I already mind. knew that. <laughs> that cat is out of the bag. Yeah, it's all right, though. Welcome. We're glad you're here. And today we have kidnapped you to talk about Minute 59, which begins with Father Mulcahy protesting about giving painless absolution. And it ends with the Last Supper of M.A.S.H., Yes, indeed. Quite literally. <laughs> but before we can get there, we need to talk about Catholicism. Yes, again, I know. <laughs> well, we saw a little bit before, I mean, Mulcahy looked a bit pained in the last minute when he was talking to Hawkeye, who is in scrubs outside a tent. What's going on? And this minute, Obi, we find out what's going on. <laughs> He's being asked to give last rites too painless before he commits suicide with the black castle yay welcome to our fun place (laughs) (laughs) fortunately i know how it all turns out so i'm 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 okay with this you know we were actually debating like do we need to do a warning do we need to let people know and we're like it's it's gonna be okay i just want to assure anyone watching this a minute at a time that painless is not in danger And Hawkeye almost gives away the game. He points out that he is not committing suicide. He is only intending to commit suicide. Mm. And if it works, if what we're doing works, is what he says, then he will not commit suicide. So... Right. That was the first time that it was implied that this black capsule is not actually a suicide pill. Yep. The jig is up. (laughs) (laughs) 
My one problem is that the jig is not up as regards absolution and confession because Hawkeye's reasoning does not hold. Now, I will say I am not a theologian. We've had a Catholic priest on this show, (laughs) and I bet he would have a lot to say about this minute. Hawkeye's reasoning is by playing along, Father Mulcahy is going to let them go through with this and Painless will be fine in the end and not commit suicide, which he might if left to his own devices. That's what they're worried about. But Painless is doing confession and getting communion and intending to commit suicide. And dealing with an intention is sometimes the Roman Catholic Church's jam. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I I was confused about that because I guess I believed what Hawkeye was saying, that the act mattered more than the intention. And I have a background in Judaism, though I'm not religious at all. And, and I know that Jews always focus on the act rather than the intention. So I thought that that was a true fact, but apparently not. Again, I can almost hear Father David screaming and, you know, at his phone <laughs> or whatever he listens to podcasts on. My understanding is, yes, the act is worst, but the intention absolutely counts. Okay. Yeah, I guess I've seen enough popular culture stuff about Catholic guilt and, you know, yes. having bad thoughts. <laughs> if and, you're intending to, to have an affair, mm-hmm. that's not as bad as having an affair, but it's still real bad. Okay. I mean, it is only one teeny little step not even a step, like a little tiny ramp up <laughs> from the actual act. And so he should not be giving communion to painless in this situation, but he is browbeat by Hawkeye and he does. Yeah, he's he's arguing. He's like, I'd have to check. You know, it's not a cut and dry thing because Hawkeye is presenting him with a pretty good argument. Right, and then there is the question of whether suicide is a mortal sin as determined by the Catholic Church or not. I guess I did a little research and it seemed to be kind of on the on the line about uh, whether it was or not. And I guess it probably depends on what era you're talking about. But I think currently the Catholic belief on that is that you definitely shouldn't do it and it's an affront to God, but that, you know, they understand that it often is brought about by extreme mental anguish and et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know if that mitigates it at all. Yeah, I would have to look. And obviously, for the purposes of the Korean conflict, this is all pre-Vatican II. So they absolutely would not have that outlook on it. Sure, sure. In the 50s, um, one of my favorite jokes, although it comes from a 60s movie, it's only just post-Vatican II, is in (laughs) The Trouble with Angels. It's a convent boarding school and two girls on the first night are being introduced to all the nuns and one starts ringing her bell that's going to wake them up every morning. And one leads over to the other and goes, I think I'm going to kill myself. And the other one says, Catholics aren't allowed to. (laughs) (laughs) So they're going to have to deal with that bell ringing every day until they graduate from high school is the... I'm not selling that joke very well. You're just going to have to trust me that it's very charming. (laughs) I chuckled. I chuckled. Yeah. Thank thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. No, this is, it's not a Catholic example. It's the, and I keep bringing it back because the perfect example is Jimmy Carter's lust in his heart. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And so it's it's one of those where like, obviously it would be worse to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's still not good. And I think if Father Mulcahy had been allowed to consult with the military chaplaincy or vicar, however they, whatever they call it, 
I do love that Hawkeye says, will you check on it? And then just leaves. Just goes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I wonder if Painless would have... I mean, I don't know how religious Painless really is or isn't, but I wonder if he, if Father Mulcahy hadn't given him last rites, if if he would have, might have wondered if the, if something was awry, so to speak. Like Hawkeye yeah. g- gang are up to something. And so even though he's sort of browbeated into it and is hesitant to do it, Father Mulcahy's going along with the charade of it all. His face when he looks... Th- I know. I, 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 I haven't paused right now on like minute four, second fourteen where he goes. Well, I uh, I should check. And he's just very thoughtful, right? And Hawkeye kind of has his hand up, being like, "Listen." Now, Josh, we do not know your mash origin story. Oh, that's but true. I'm start it with how do you feel about movie Hawkeye? Oh, Are movie you a fan? Hawkeye. Uh... I like Donald Sutherland. It's weird. Like, you know, I saw this movie after I had already been a fan, like a real fan of the TV show. I think Mm -hmm. I was maybe 13 when I saw this movie. And it was surreal because I'm also a comics fan. Well, I'm a comic creator. And also I was a, you know, big collecting nerd back then. And there's this whole concept in comics of like alternate dimensions and like Earth 1, Earth 2, and all these, you know, different versions of the same characters, you know, like Superman of Earth 1 is slightly different than Superman of Earth 2 and etc. So this was like the Earth 2 mash, you know, where there was (laughs) the same characters, but other people playing them and acting differently. And Galen Aldo was like one of my father figures as I was growing up, for lack of a better term. And he exemplified Hawkeye and sort of everything that I wanted to be as a young man. And then there's this other guy playing him who's doing things that Hawkeye would never do and say or, you know, isn't as charming. And it was odd, you know, but like I I accepted it as the Earth 2 mash, you know, (laughs) enjoyed it for what it was. But I guess in this scene, Hawkeye, as played by Donald Sutherland, is acting more like a Hawkeye from the TV show, I guess, in a lot of ways. Like he actually cares about somebody else. He's being, you know, funny and irreverent, but it's in the service of trying to help somebody. So, you know, this is this is closer to Alan Alda Hawkeye than a lot of other scenes in this film. Yeah, I do feel like Donald Sutherland does get at that heart of it. It's like we said just a little while ago with uh, with Jarf when we were talking about <laughs> the idea of the team captain. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and how Hawkeye is the star, but it's more important that he kind of keeps the gang together in a way. He's the glue, and that's why Alan Alda became such a fixture of all our lives mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way that Wayne Rogers didn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so how did you discover you are amongst friends growing up being a fan of the show? So oh, I yeah. just want to no. lay that out to start. <laughs> I love that. How did I discover the show, the movie? Where should I start? <laughs> I'm not going to sing, although I'm very tempted to launch to a song from The Sound of Music. How did you find MASH to begin with and whatever form that took? Okay, so yeah, that was probably... Probably the show. <laughs> I'm definitely dating myself, but it was probably in the late 70s when the show was still on TV. And I grew up in a certain, a unique kind of household. I was raised by a single mother who was a political activist and artist and an ardent feminist Mm -hmm. and anti-war activist and made art against the war. So I grew up going to I, actually, one of my first memories was being on an anti-Vietnam War demonstration, like being pushed in my stroller. 
Wow. So you understand like the context I grew up in. And uh, we didn't have a television. That was one of the things she didn't believe in. It was, you know, it was the opiate of the masses and all that stuff. So uh, I would catch TV when and where I could. And I would watch anything because it was television. So <laughs> I remember very clearly being at some grown-up party and uh, wandering around bored and walking into a, a room where a bunch of grown-ups were sitting and watching MASH. And I guess that says something about the party itself if a bunch of grown-ups were watching <laughs> television. But anyway, I, I was like, I'm watching this and I don't know what it is. I don't know. For some reason, I just glommed onto it right away. I, I don't know if it was... This weird combination of it being both a military show, which I was obsessed with the military because it was something that my mom was totally against. So, of course, I was really into it, but also like <laughs> being anti-war and being funny. And I had this kind of Marx Brothers humor, and that was something I appreciated. So I just, for whatever reason, like definitely connected with it immediately. And then, you know, moving forward in my life, when I did eventually get a TV... Uh, I just became a huge fan of the show. And later on, I moved to New York City because I was back in California. And I had a TV in my room, which was the worst thing a teenage boy could have probably had. But <laughs> my dad, who I was now living with, just let me watch as much TV as I wanted. So it was sort of like, wow, I'm going down, going down now. So I, <laughs> where I lived in New York, they had MASH on every night from at 7 o'clock and at 11 o'clock. So I would religiously watch two episodes every day. And then the new episodes, you know, on Mondays or whenever it was broadcast, it just, it came to, I came to like identify with it, you know, like I was talking about before with Alan Alda and Hawkeye and just his whole evolution as a character, how he was such like a sarcastic kind of horny guy. But then, you know, <laughs> as the show evolved, he started to respect women and that was meaningful to me at that stage. Obviously, was a good role model for a young man. And I meet, made some friends in high school who just the only reason we were friends was because we both loved MASH, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> MASH bringing people together. <laughs> yeah. And later in college, uh, the, the guy who's like my best friend to this day, I brought this little black and white television with me to college. It was hilarious. It was literally like a four inch screen and <laughs> like the, it extended backwards into space, like way farther than the oh, size of the yeah, screen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I would watch. So in, in Ohio, where I was going to college, they also showed MASH at seven o'clock every night. So I would watch MASH every night before going to dinner. One day, like early in the first week of school, this guy walked by my dorm room and I had the door, the door open watching me and he just walked in and started watching with me without even asking permission. <laughs> and we became best friends and, you know, we've been friends ever since. And uh, we even created our own little dynamic of like being Hawkeye and Trapper, Hawkeye and BJ and driving people crazy with our quote unquote comedy. <laughs> and then the movie I, I was exposed to at a summer camp. Which is, I was thinking about this because you had Heidi Bennett on and she talked about, I remember her talking about like how MASH was kind of like summer camp, you know, mm -hmm. everyone living in tents and all that sort of stuff. And it's really weird to me that they showed the movie at camp, like to a bunch of kids who were like yeah. age six to 15. <laughs> as, a, as a former counselor, I have a lot of questions. A lot of questions. Yeah, it was really an interesting choice by the camp director. But I, I was fascinated by it and you know did think it was odd like earth 2 mash but um mm -hmm. it was a rated r movie which was like a big deal back in those days when you're th when you're 13 year old boys so 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was sort of balancing my like good political liberal sensitive man side with like there are a lot of um potential for naked ladies in this movie, you know? <laughs> and there's a lot of confident talk by men to women, which I could never dream of engaging in myself, even though I would never talk to a woman like that. So, you know, it's very complicated. <laughs> actually amazed that the television show never made use of the tagline Hawkeye Pierce, horny with a heart. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> they focus grouped in it, just didn't quite. You know. <laughs> oh, what it worked on us. <laughs> I I also love that you went to school in Ohio and we're watching MASH and I'm just like and somewhere else in Ohio a young Jerry Porter was watching MASH to be like his older sisters he talked about when he was on the show and it's just there was a time where people in America would all be watching the same thing at the same time I know I miss that so much <laughs> times are different I know I know it's just not the same but l- Sometimes it's good that times are different. Sometimes, Sometimes times it's okay. are not like they are in the movie MASH, and that's, um, and that's a good not thing. a bad thing. <laughs> Speaking as a woman who identifies as a woman, yikes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <sighs> I forgot where I was going before I was like, gotta point out, not condoning this behavior. <laughs> well, um, have you, I was gonna ask Josh quick, um, have you read the book at all? Yeah, um, thanks for asking. At some point after I saw the movie, I definitely went and sought out the book. And I still have like the hard copy of it right now. I'm looking. The hard copy? That's like such a. Like the hardcover? <laughs> yeah, the hardcover. <laughs> the hardcover is I, the hardcover. I figured copy. that's what you meant. Yeah, hard copy. Yeah. And I even, I read that. I, I think I was like, yeah, this is a lot like the movie. Cool. And then I even went and read the sequel, MASH Goes to Maine, which mm. <laughs> was not entertaining from what I remember. <laughs> Definitely didn't match up to the movie or the show at all. I guess it, yeah, it just wasn't like the, it, it felt very dated even to a, you know, a 14, 15 year old kid at that time. The other thing that's funny is that I, after seeing the movie, like that one time, I, somehow got the soundtrack on audio cassette the soundtrack to the film and i don't know if you guys have ever heard it but it has like various songs you know from the film and then like some of the songs that are like the japanese music and and 50 songs and stuff but it also has like snippets of dialogue from the film so you can kind of recreate the oh. whole movie in your head as you're listening to it because it's like all chronological so some of the best bits and funniest little moments <laughs> are played audio and I definitely wore that out on my Sony Walkman for a number of years listening to that. And I didn't, you know, I didn't even have a VCR back in those days. So when the final episode of MASH was broadcast, I taped it with my big clunky tape recorder. And, I, you know, how many <laughs> cassettes would that have been? Like three cassettes worth of material. It was a two, <laughs> two and a half hour episode. Wow. And I would, and I would also play that on my Walkman and, and like, visually recreate the whole thing in my mind just from the audio of it so i was i was an obsessive little kid i i also created uh, my own episode recaps and typed them (gasps) up on my ibm selectric selectric we would definitely been friends yes (laughs) yeah in fact later when i bought one of those books i bought this like comprehensive book about mash that had like all the seasons and all the episodes i was super psyched to see that like some of the titles that i had 
come up with on my own for the episode titles were actually the episode titles. Oh, cool. <laughs> That's awesome. I was very excited that I read one of the, like, the complete book of MASH. And I was like, there's an episode that I've seen that's not in here. And I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, I found it, you know. Is that right? messed up. I'm better. I-, I think it was, I think it was corrected in a, in a like, later but, edition. Wow. Yeah, but I was very excited. I was like, wow. Also, I've seen MASH too many times. If I can read a book with over 200 episode summaries and be like, hey, they never included the one where Father Mulcahy did this. Yeah, that's <laughs> impressive. <laughs> that is impressive. Impressive is not the word that my parents used, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we said we're all in safe space here. Yes, exactly. And you mentioned your uh, creator. So any MASH fanfic we need to swap? Because I got some I can trade you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I It's n- at least as good as the sequel books, because those just kept going, and they did not get better with time. <laughs> yeah, weren't there like nine or ten sequel books written? Yeah, it they did the crazy. MASH Goes To series. Oh my gosh. That are all ghost written. It got written. No, there are bits of it that are entertaining. I enjoy a, a book with a really, like, forced premise. Of yeah. how you get all these people into the same place again. Right. Probably because I was sitting there with my dial-up reading MASH fanfic, so... Wow, you went for the show hard. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never did any fanfiction. I, you know, I just collected the little action figures and I made my episode mm-hmm. recaps and I talked to my friends about how much we love MASH. And the comics that I do, I did, I think I shared with you guys, I did draw a comic once where Hawkeye was featured in one panel of it. But <laughs> yeah, that was, um, that was extent of it. And we can definitely reshare that on our social media. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Just to make sure that everyone sees the silly kidneys joke. There you go. <laughs> you know, I realized I don't think I've ever seen a Marx Brothers movie. Really? Oh, whoa. And being this into MASH, I, this is like the fifth time it's come up doing this podcast. Well, yeah, especially because there's that one episode where they basically, is it, I forget which season it is, but they they act like they're- It's early. Yeah, it's early because yeah. it's in black and they did it in black and white for, you know, comedic effect, but- Yeah, and I remember scenes. like Hawkeye walking, prancing around the recovery room, you know, specifically yeah. doing Groucho Marx routines. Yeah. There's a lot of references to it in MASH. And, like, mm-hmm. I know enough about the Marx Brothers to be able to, like, converse in American society. <laughs> but I've never seen a movie. Oh, yeah. Duck Soup is a is a can't miss. You okay. Definitely recommend it. Going on the list. <laughs> and it's short. Oh, bonus. Bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I analyze movies one minute at a time. I'm not intimidated by much, so... There you go. So he looks in. I did write out, I was very proud of myself. I'll talk more about this Last Supper tomorrow, but just for those listening... Oh, so, Megan, I did it. You did what? I found the script. To the match? Final draft, February 16th, 1969 by Ring Lardner Jr. Wait, February 16th? That's my birthday! Woo! Okay, anyway, I mean, I wasn't alive Happy in birthday 16. birthday. I wasn't alive. Happy Lardner belated Jr. birthday. I wasn't alive then, but it's, yay! Um, <laughs> it's interesting. I've been yeah. reading it. But it's funny. Certain places are, uh, you know, word for word. 
Yeah. And then other places are just like, whoa, this scene did not happen at all. <laughs> and is, it, is, this one, is this one of those scenes where things went off the rails, so to speak? So it's definitely <laughs> a little bit different. They approach Mulcahy in his tent beforehand and then uh, skip right into the Last Supper. But I would not miss this look on Mulcahy's face yeah, that's for the true. world. Right. His look of horror as he gazes in. <laughs> I know, right. He's like, and then. What? The directions call for the entire male cast except for Henry Blake and Frank Burns, which there's Makes some monkeying with that timeline. I was going to say, oh, yeah, was, Fra- was Frank, Frank wouldn't be there. But but in classic open fashion, was Frank still around? <laughs> I think. I <laughs> and think they just cut it been, this way? Because also remember, yeah, because he monkeyed a few times with the order in which things happened. So it could be that Frank... Frank, or this was supposed to happen earlier in the movie, because remember, Dish was supposed to leave before Houlihan got here. Right. So there's definitely some discrepancy there. But yeah, our entire male cast in this case is Sidemen, Bandini, Judson, Ugly John, Volmer, Duke, Painless, Trapper, Hawkeye, Murhart, Radar, Boone, and Hojan. And we'll get to why the number of people sitting at this table is significant in tomorrow's episode. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Although I have referred to it as The Last Supper multiple times, and so did a lot of things. And uh, the next episode is on Monday, not tomorrow. I'm a big liar. You have the whole weekend to put together what this <laughs> reminds you of as you look at this last scene on screen. Dun, dun, dun. I did read on uh, some MASH wiki that this was the very first scene that they filmed in the movie. Do you know if that's true? I will have to look and see if that is true, true. It was definitely an earlier one, but I don't remember if it was the first scene film. Because it's quite a setup. I mean, I must admit, I know we'll talk more about the whole Last Supper thing tomorrow, but just like. You know, the amount of art direction that must have been involved to create this and to duplicate the paintings so beautifully and to light it and to, you know, set it up the way they do with the way that it's beautifully lit and the way it slow zooms in and then or it quickly zooms in and then slowly, slowly zooms out again. It's quite impressive. Tour de force of filmmaking. Mm. It looks good. Yeah. Did you guys want to say anything about the... Because I don't think it goes into next episode, but the three figures who are who sort of play taps before they go. Oh, oh yeah, we can certainly do that because yeah, you're right. We're gonna zoom in past them. Yeah, so we won't see them for a bit. Yeah, it, do we know who the man is playing the violin? So I have a difference of opinion. I think it's another nurse, and uh, I showed it to some other people, and they also weren't quite sure, but they felt that that was a woman. Are you sure that it's a man? I thought it was well, three nurses. Well, it's Storch and Leslie. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I had said an unnamed man, but it would make sense if it's the three nurses together. Yeah, especially because like in art, they typically have like the three muses or three women together in these Ooh, sort of tableaus. Yeah. You know. Oh, I like that. And it just seems perfectly symbolic of the whole attitude of this film in the first place. Like the women are excluded, but they kind of like uh, represent the, the, the scene somehow. And they're playing this wobbly violin version of Taps, which is probably an inappropriate time to play it. But that's of course, all <laughs> part of 
of this sh- of this movie. So I really like the idea of the three women outside performing an important role for the scene, mm-hmm. but not getting not actually to- invited. Not <laughs> actually invited in. Yeah, it. I guess it is a third nurse. Who is it? Yeah, yeah I, I'm trying to, I, I can't. Is. I can't zoom in enough to be able to. You know. Yeah, it's kind get a of good face on them. Frustrating. Infuriating. <laughs> good job, Robert Altman. <laughs> good job. Oh, I will also say a difference in the script is that they carry in the coffin and i think that's actually taken from the book yeah it rang a bell when i was reading it that he says hey what's that for and they're like well you're you're heavy can you just get in it now before and that way we don't have to carry you about like you'll already be in the coffin oh uh, okay yeah. yeah there's a little bit of painless being kind of confronting his mortality mm-hmm. yeah as they carry in his empty coffin whereas here it is part of the tableau yeah by the way, can I just tell you how stupid I feel because however many decades it is now after I first heard the song Suicide is Painless, did it just occur to me today that suicide is painless? <laughs> painless, the dentist who's committing suicide. Oh, <laughs> how long have I been? Oh, yes. Like, oh, a doy. Well, I wonder if that was done on purpose or not. Oh, oh okay. You. I well, you I know, feel I mean, really, really smart right now. I just have to take a moment well, to glow. I mean, I mean, I mean, just see how you know, fifteen-year-old Mike Altman apparently wrote it in fifteen minutes or something crazy like that, right? Like, yeah, but he was given a title. Oh, that's true. Right, he was given a title. Okay, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And it was written for this scene. And then he ran. It wasn't with originally going to be over the credits. It right, was, right. It was just, just for, this. for this. Right. And okay. then Altman was like, "Yeah, this kind of captures what I'm going for." Yeah. Suicide is painless. But don't worry. I just want to reiterate, you know, every 10 minutes or so, <laughs> we are not about to watch someone commit suicide on film. I mean, he thinks he is, but he's not really. I know I go dark in my movies by minutes, but I'm not <laughs> that. I promise. I'm. It's not that sort of movie. <laughs> yeah. I definitely feel like this is Robert Altman's Catholic background, though, coming into play, where he he staged this probably differently than how it was originally conceived of. It was, you know, I think I read somewhere that Ring Lardner and the script just called it a stag banquet. You know, oh, we'll get there. Yeah, Mm. all right, save it, save it. We'll get there. Yep. (laughs) Anyway, cut that out. So one last thing, I I know you haven't I haven't heard those episodes yet, but. Have we talked about how essentially offensive this entire concept is that this uh, this guy has one episode of erectile dysfunction and decides that means that he's gay <laughs> and, and if he's gay, he's got to commit suicide. That's the only you know thing to do. Like, so okay. this movie not only you know, uh, yeah. is, is it not. <laughs> we have discussed it. But again, okay. we would like to reiterate for listeners Please feel free to also point out how incredibly stupid this whole premise right. is. <laughs> and deeply offensive to... Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Yes. The standard response to discovering <laughs> one's sexuality is not this. <laughs> yeah. Let's just make that clear. And yeah. You should feel yeah. horrible, right? Like, ugh. 
It's definitely an example of, you know, there's some films that you can watch and appreciate them from the cultural context of when they were made. And then they still seem funny. You're, you're like, okay, I'll give it a pass. But there's definitely a lot of humor in this movie when I rewatched it where I was just not able to bring forth the yucks of, of delight <laughs> that I had when I was 13. You know, it's yeah. too much time has passed. The culture's changed too much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was never the appropriate response, but you could at least understand where in 1951, 1952, mm-hmm. he would have a different, like, it's still a stupid premise, but he would have a different reaction yeah. than someone in 2019. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah. some things have changed for the better. Yay! I miss that people would gather and watch television together, but you know what? It's okay. Sometimes you just got to let that go and Mm -hmm. be glad that the culture's moved on. And there's still lots of stuff to laugh at. Yeah. In the world. I I thought you just meant in this movie. I'm like, yes, there are. (laughs) We have to defend it. (laughs) Or we have to defend some parts of it. There you go. Not like the look it. on the priest's face when he realizes how far this has been taken. <laughs> yeah. He also, look, like at the very end of this minute when Mulcahy looks mm-hmm. through the window, he looks yeah. like, he's like, something about that looks familiar. Yeah, <laughs> That's what I love. <laughs> What's going on here? Yes, this should all look familiar. Feel free. Take the weekend to study your art history. Because <laughs> we'll get into it on Monday. <laughs> I'm so glad I looked that this is an episode. And that's cool because that means that, Josh, your first episode, you're going to have a musical cue. We do a cover of Suicide is Painless on every Friday episode instead of our normal outro. Sweet. I don't have to sing it, though, right? No. No. Okay. But if you want to write lyrics to the song, please feel free. (laughs) And I will be happy to take that audio out and release a bonus episode of it eventually. Sweet. Just leaving that as an opportunity for you. No, I don't you know, think but- I could, you know, reach the the lyrical depths of Mike Altman, so <laughs> I'd probably just let it go. Well, why don't you tell our listeners about the creative endeavors you do partake in then? I know you mentioned your podcast at the top. Sure, yeah. My podcast is Scene by Scene with Josh and Dean, and uh, it's a breakdown of the movie American Splendor with Paul Giamatti. It's based on the comics writing and life of Harvey Picar. And Dean and I, my co-hosts, were both illustrators for Harvey Picar, so we had intimate knowledge of, of him and his comics. And Dean was actually also involved in the making of the film because he like uh, connected the producer with with Harvey when the film was made. And so we break that movie down scene by scene. We have actors from the film who are in it. We have, we're, we're going to have the director, writer slash directors on, Judah Friedlander, James Urbaniak. Um, we're going to have Joyce Brabner, the wife of Harvey, will be a guest on the show. Ooh. Other artists who illustrated for Harvey. So it's been a really cool adventure. Like I said, we're about two thirds of the way through our first season. And you can find it at scenebyscenepodcast.com. And maybe I'll talk about my other stuff next episode so I don't just drone on and on. I mean, I can already feel Megan defecting from our um, podcast to I, yours. I, so. actually, <laughs> I actually have listened to a couple episodes, actually. I've, I think I've oh. listened to like three or four at this point. Thanks so much. Yeah. Well, no, I remember seeing like, like you're, you've, I've seen it posted the Minute by Minutes group, the Facebook mm-hmm. group. And I was like, oh, that seems like such a cool concept. 
Like, well, do, you know, especially you. for that movie, because to me, that made more sense than trying to break it down. Oh, yeah, minute. that's not a movie you could do minute by minute. <laughs> like, that just seems like either you'd be really confused or just be like, like, some minutes you would literally have too much detail and other minutes you'd be like, yeah, there's and nothing then here. Yeah. there's really nothing here. Like, hey, Paul, yeah. what's up? Um, you know, like. Yeah, I proposed that originally to Dean and he was like, nope, not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Megan, don't listen to this man. It is not permissible to say no when your friend proposes a movies by minute podcast. No, Definitely but you not. just got to choose the right movie. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to know that we will be kidnapping you for another minute and we will get to all your questions about this supper that they have had at last. Yeah. Intent to nudge, nudge, no. Uh, <laughs> we've already blown that surprise. It's okay. And from the look on Mulcahy's face, he has also realized why this looks so familiar. But we will get to that in our next episode when we talk about minute 60. I will save my shock about saying that out loud for next minute. <laughs> right. <laughs> This is a milestone. So we will post these episodes. We'll have links to your stuff, including that panel that had Alan Alda in it because it really did warm my heart. We're at MASH Minute on Twitter and Instagram. And we have the website mashminute.com. So hopefully I will be able to link everything there. Spread the good word. Sounds good. All right. Uh, Anything else before I hit stop recording? What are our weekend plans since I'll be here, you know, on Monday? Trying to figure out if this was the first scene filmed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. I'm also going to feel a little bit iffy because the website that I found the MASH screenplay on, which looks great, you know, from the novel final script, the date looks right for educational purposes only, the formatting's all there. Um, this is definitely a Russian website. I can tell by the, it's not .com. And um, I'm sitting here in 2019 wondering, like, what horrible information I'm giving the Cold War by doing this. But you know what? They're the ones that have the script. So <laughs> I'm going to be on that website quite a bit this weekend. So if you don't see me on Monday, please send the State Department. <laughs> Okay. Got it. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. What will you be up to? Well, I'm with you guys, right? Since we're here oh. until Monday. Get it? Oh, cool. Sleeping <laughs> yeah, over. Right. I love it. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were like going to go and come back on Monday. This is awesome. All right. I'll go make popcorn. There we go. <laughs> Pop in the old DVDs. We'll just watch MASH all weekend. Sounds and Google. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> all the Google. On Russian websites. <laughs>